Welcome to the Purse Podcast. My name is Jana Hlistova, and we are changing the conversation for women about money and investing. I'm super excited about my guest today, Angela Atherton. Angela is the co-founder and principal of Parallel Finance. Her commitment to financial inclusion and impact investing began at the start of her career, which she managed screening and performance analysis for two ESG indexes. She structured private equity deals at American Capital Strategies, and she led risk analysis and management functions at Fannie Mae and Calvert Impact Capital, a non-profit investment firm. As the Chief Operating and Financial Officer at the Global Good Fund, a social enterprise, she ran day-to-day operations and led commercial expansion. Angela is an experienced entrepreneur. She co-founded a female-led fintech capital market exchange and launched an independent consulting practice with a global reach, including emerging and developed markets in North America, Europe, Australia, Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. Now, in this podcast interview, we talk about gender lens investing, what is it, how it relates to ESG, and why the market is starting to pay attention to it now. We talk about gender lens equity funds, the assets under management, and how they're performing versus the more traditional funds. Angela talks to us about some of the challenges with regards to gender lens funds and how we can accelerate the pace of change. And to finish up, Angela explains how women can start investing in gender lens equity funds. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Please note that this podcast interview is for informational purposes only. We do not provide investment advice. Angela, welcome to the Purse Podcast. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Yana, thank you so much for having me. You do a wonderful job with the podcast and the articles that you bring to the community. So thank you for your work. Thank you so much. And I was saying just before we jumped on this recording, you're based in Beijing as well. So very international. Yes, yes. My family has lived sort of all over the world. And right now we are in Beijing. And I find it a great perspective, particularly in the finance and investing space to sort of be around the world and see how things work in different places. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now. It would be amazing if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and specifically your journey to where you are today. And I'm very interested in why focus on investing with a gender lens. And then just to add to that as well, if you could share an insight that you had, which made you realize that investing with a gender lens is really important. I started my career at a private equity firm called American Capital Strategies. They actually hired me out of my undergraduate program to be a research analyst. My undergraduate degree is in international studies and economics, so it wasn't finance. But they brought me on to research and select what we were looking for was labor-friendly companies. And what we were creating was an index of labor-friendly companies, and we partnered with Massachusetts Financial Services. And so that list of companies that I created, their portfolio managers would choose from that list. It was actively managed funds. So they could choose anything that was on that list, but I had cleared them to confirm that they had a good relationship with labor unions, few or no disputes with the different labor organizations that they were working with, and so on. And so it was interesting, right? So this is a socially conscious fund in the early 90s. 
And so that mm -hmm. was sort of my first foray into that space, the socially conscious investing space. They liked me. They were willing to train me and I was eager to learn and enjoy the financial aspects of what I was doing. So I gradually moved in and started doing some deal modeling and structuring as well as the research work that I was doing for their private equity deals. And the juxtaposition of American Capital Strategies was a little interesting in that they did private equity deals. They looked for spinoffs of larger companies, troubled companies that they could go in and structure a deal. But every deal had an employee stock ownership component as part of the capital structure. And for me, that was sort of eye-opening, that ability to make the workers also owners and build their wealth. So financial inclusion, I realized at that point that financial inclusion was important to me. And as I moved from American Capital Strategies onto other endeavors, I continue to focus on financial services and financial inclusion and other aspects of impact investing. So I moved on and worked at Fannie Mae, Calvert Impact Capital. I did consulting and some international consulting specifically with organizations like USAID and IFC. And so I kind of had that thread throughout my career of some element of this sort of impact investing. And when it came to gender lens investing, my business partner, Mary Pat Tanel Smucker, was writing on gender issues. And we actually went to grad school together. And we're looking, over the years, we've been looking for something to work at together. And so she was writing on gender lens and gender lens investing. And we sort of came together. So it was, it was actually the natural thing for us to do. It fit well with my desire to touch aspects of impact investing and financial inclusion. And really, we see gender lens investing at Parallel Finance, we see gender lens investing as both about investing in women, so women-owned businesses, women-led businesses, gender-conscious companies, but also about getting women to invest and build their own wealth. And we think that this gender lens investing proposition can be interesting to women as well as men investors. And so we're really excited about bringing those elements together. That's wonderful. It's a, it's a really interesting background that you described there as well. And I love the term that you used, socially conscious investing. And I, I think we need to really be seeing more and more of that, don't we, in this world as we hurtle we towards this climate crisis, et cetera. Now, you talked a little bit about gender lens investing in terms of what it means. How does it break down? So for listeners who aren't familiar with it, because it really depends how you slice it, what perspective you take, right? So there's yeah. the public market, there's the private market. You could look at equity versus fixed income, for example. So how would you break it down? And then how does that relate to ESG? And the market's really starting to pay attention. And, and why are they right now? This is important to, to try and lay out that spectrum between those different elements of the investing community. General investing, we see it as a strategy that seeks to achieve a market rate of return and certainly that's by investing in those businesses that are demonstrating the promotion of gender equality opportunities, right, for the women as employees, as business owners, and as consumers. And so when you look at the definition that way, it's very easy to see that those elements, right, funding of women-owned businesses, gender-conscious businesses, requires a full spectrum of capital, right? So from private equity and debt to public equity and debt, right? We need it all. So ultimately, we think that this sub-asset class or asset class, however you want to look at it, strategy, will ultimately or does ultimately fund 
women that are starting businesses, that are growing their businesses and need debt and equity capital to grow their businesses, those that are doing initial public offerings and beyond, right? Because corporations always need money. And so if we're seeing companies that need money along the way, we're hoping that there are investors that are interested in supporting them. And so the short answer to your question is, it's all of this, right? But a key part of our definition is the market rate of return. When we look at the the scope of things, there's also what we consider gender lens finance. And so that's even broader. So we see everything from charity and below market rate return investments to market rate return investments. So that's a bigger tent. We certainly see that the investments, the philanthropy and the below market rate investments that are happening in projects and initiatives to support gender equality are important and make a valuable contribution. But we try and narrow the focus when we talk about gender lens investing to focus on those that are looking for a market rate of return. And we think that that's an important part of the definition because we think it helps make a case for what we're trying to do here. Why should investors care? Because we're talking about getting an opportunity to earn a market rate of return and potentially increase the economic output of the globe while advancing gender equality. And so we think that should be, as you said, when we think about the world and how we direct our money it's fair to want a market rate of return. It would be really great if you can get that market rate of return and do something for society. Outside of investing by itself, several groups have done analysis on the cost and and potential benefit of achieving gender equality. And in 2015, McKinsey did a study and they found that if we were able to fully close the gender gap, it could potentially add $28 trillion to the global GDP by 2025. So that represents an opportunity for income and profits. That should be an interesting investment proposition, we think. Very powerful. From an ESG perspective, most of the asset managers that we're monitoring and watching, the funds that we're watching, the asset managers are are basically placing them under a larger ESG thematic umbrella. And we think that that's fine, that Really what we're seeing in terms of investors, and there's been a lot of stories, particularly in the last year, about women investors coming to the market. And what we're finding is that as women investors come to the market, they are concerned about being socially conscious. And what we find is that both women and men as investors are looking more and more at those environmental, social, and governance issues. And it's really about investors that want to fund a sustainable economy. And equality is naturally part of a sustainable economy. From our perspective, what we'd like to see, aside from some of the gender lens funds we're going to talk about today, we'd actually like to see gender equality as an overlay on ESG investing. As you're looking at the components of ESG, climate action, the various social issues, governance, that you're doing that with a gender lens. Recently, we actually proposed a revised set of ESG definitions and criteria that allow or you know, have investors consider that gender lens, bring that lens on top of the ESG investing. And some of the funds are doing that. We actually see it on both sides. When we look at some of the ESG funds, some of them are looking at things already with a gender lens to some degree. And from the gender lens investing side, we see those funds naturally as being placed under sort of that ESG thematic in their fund manager's house. They have the capacity to do broader ESG analysis, and they often bring that into the funds. In addition to screening for 
gender equity, we find that they're also screening for these other ESG issues and that that's factoring into their analysis and their investment decision-making. So I think it's all great. I think it's great to see that investors, that there are new investors in the market that are excited about an aspect of investing, that more and more investors are thinking about sustainability and that you've got these various types of funds that are out there trying to capture these elements of ESG and gender equity. So we're excited about the the potential for further growth in the market. It's a very exciting space. And Angela, as you were saying, there are a lot of women in the ESG space, and we know that women lead on ESG. And so it's encouraging to see that trickle down and this gender lens investing being applied in this market. So it's very, very encouraging. I feel very, very positive about it. How big is the market in your view? What are the growth rates that we're seeing? And also, if you were to think about forecasts for the US and the UK and globally, what would they be? The market size, and actually it's interesting because between the work that we do and some other organizations that are in the space, we think we're doing a pretty good job of capturing what's out there. And recently, those two other organizations have put out reports. And what we think is together, that gender lens investing space, and specifically that market rate of return from private and public equity and debt, altogether, we think it's over $18 billion U.S. dollars as a market. And that breaks out between the gender lens equity funds, those that are offered to individuals are also open to institutional investors. But if you or I wanted to go and invest in a fund, it would be relatively easy for us to do that. That's about $3.6 billion U.S. dollars worth of assets under management. We also cover the gender lens fixed income vehicles. So that includes gender bonds, notes, and certificates that are offered to retail, accredited, and institutional investors, we are estimating about $8.4 billion as of the end of last quarter in that space. Very exciting in that space and the growth opportunities. There's a lot happening in terms of encouraging more offerings in that space. We also have separately managed accounts. You've got individuals and institutional investors that want to direct their funds. We've got another billion dollars there. The separately managed accounts are tracked by various wealth partners, and the private equity and debt fund market is followed by a project called Project Sage, their 4.0 edition of their study, and they found $6 billion worth of capital going to those private equity and debt funds to support women-owned businesses. Mm. So in terms of growth, so we do quarterly analysis particularly of the gender lens equity funds and the gender lens fixed income. This year alone, we've seen 35% growth in the gender lens equity funds and closer to 70, 75% growth in the gender lens fixed income vehicles that we're able to identify and track. And I think overall, looking over time, over, let's say, the last couple of years, we'd see 75% growth across those four categories that I just broke out in the segment. So there's a fair amount of growth. I think there is growth potential still to come. It's actually interesting because it's one of those areas where there haven't been much time sitting on airplanes in the last two years. But when you meet somebody new or are having that sort of airplane conversation, when I talk about what I do, particularly women say, oh, well, 
I'd like to invest that way. How do I do it? And so I think that the large part of what we do, aside from the analysis and tracking of the strategies that are out there in gender lens investing, we're also bringing awareness to it. And I think as awareness grows, and particularly as people figure out that there's an opportunity to derive a market rate of return and do it in a socially conscious way. And I think that's why ESG in general is growing as a sector. And it leads on well to my next question, because I think there is a lot of misinformation or just just misunderstanding about what gender lens investing is amongst traditional investors or people in general. And yet, as you've described, just because you invest through a socially conscious lens doesn't mean that you can't make money. In fact, there's a lot of money to be made and we can see there's enormous growth I don't know if you want to add anything else to that. I think really changing the narrative around gender lens investing is super important. In terms of misinformation or misunderstanding, I think we've already hit one, that people think that we're asking for charity. Give to women. That's why we try and draw a distinction between gender lens finance and gender lens investing and add that market rate of return component to the discussion. What we typically do is try and clarify that notion of there being a market opportunity. There's a growing body of research that's demonstrating that higher levels of women in leadership and diversity in leadership teams leads to higher return on capital, better productivity, higher stock price performance, and even better risk management. On our website, we actually have a page that's walking through synopses of the various reports. And we've got reports back to 2007, and we continue to update those synopses as new reports come out. And it's fascinating. I'm not going to go into all of the reports, but as it relates to return on capital, return on equity, in 2018, Bank of America did a study of companies in its investment universe, and they found that higher levels of women in leadership led to or were correlated with higher one-year return on equity among the universe. And they looked at data from 2005 to 2016. Mm. Just this year, Morningstar released a report and they looked at companies in the UK, the US and Canada and found that companies with more female executive and directors had better share price returns. One of the specific findings was that companies with more than 50% female executive and directors averaged a three-year annualized share price return of 13.5%, while the broad market returns were more like 4.8%. So those are the things we try and point to to sort of help people recognize the opportunity set here. In the private equity space, again, there are equivalent studies. We tend to focus on those that have been done sort of in the public space. It's a lot easier to get information, but there are players that have done those. But there's actually an interview. I don't know if you're familiar with Shark Tank or I think it's Dragon's Den in the UK. Yes. Yes. I'm very familiar with both. Yeah. Everybody everybody loves it. Kevin O'Leary is one of the original investors of Shark Tank here in the U.S., And he actually, during an interview earlier this year, he said that in the last 12 years, he made most of his money on companies run by women. And he goes further because then people ask, well, why? And he cites that women leaders have the ability to mitigate risk, build teams, and they beat the forecasts that they set out. That's anecdotal, not so much study, but that's pretty powerful because anybody who watches Shark Tank doesn't see him as sort of the warm and fuzzy and looking to do ESG or socially responsible investing and go out of his way to do that. So yeah, he's attacking it purely from the opportunity center. 
That's very powerful. And, and thank you for sharing that because I hadn't realized he was so heavily focused on investing in women. And I think we need so much more of that. It will drive that narrative and encourage more investors to think about how they allocate their capital in, in this way. I'm also really encouraged to see media in general picking up on gender lens investing. You're seeing yeah. articles now kind of peppered around what is gender lens investing, why it's important. My hope is longer term, gender lens investing will just be investing. Absolutely. Right. And actually, when you asked the question, I had to kind of pause and, and kind of bite my tongue because my real first inclination is to say, why not invest in women? Right. Not to be militant, but we're 50% of the population. Why isn't the starting thesis invest in women unless we find that they consistently underperform? And I find we as, as players in the segment are constantly trying to find these studies and encourage studies to find out or prove outperformance. And it reminds me back to the day when my mother said, oh, you know, you're a woman, you're going to have to work harder and do better and so on and so forth. And I feel like in some regards, we're kind of setting ourselves up by seeking out only these studies that show that we outperform. And really the bar should be, it's the right thing to do. But yeah. I think it's also important because now we're in a situation where the status quo is that while we're 50% of the population, we're not necessarily 50% of the workforce and certainly not 50% of the leadership. So now we, we're sort of fighting uphill to get our representation. It all comes back to women in leadership positions, women making decisions, sitting at the decision-making table. And that is where the focus needs to be. It's really difficult to break through the status quo. If you have individuals that have led a company, they're of a certain age, they, they're on the board, they don't want to let go of their board seats. It takes so much longer to change. And we really need to get women in those positions as soon as possible, because women then hire more women and we get gender diversity, we get cognitive diversity, making decisions in a, in a different way, thinking about the world in a different way, which is truly much more representative and therefore drives profits, which is what we want. And, and innovation. It drives innovation as well. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And to your point, my question, why invest in women? Like you, it just seems so silly because it's obvious. And yet we're asking that question because there are people who continue to ask it and I think it's like a way we, we need to change the narrative so that it sort of seeps into people's consciousness that this is just the way the world should be. And it's actually broken the way it is right now. Hopefully things will change as we see things are changing slowly, but we do like to identify those changes, the evolution of what's happening on, in terms of what's happening in corporate America and then how that can represent opportunities from an investment point of view. Absolutely. Now, I'd like to focus on gender lens equity funds that are available to individual investors. Can you talk us through the market? How many funds are currently available? And also, what are the assets under management? And why do we need these? As of September 30, we've got assets under management of about $3.6 in the gender lens equity fund space. And those are funds that are available to individuals. But they're all over the globe and they have different focuses. And actually, since September 30, a new fund, New York Life Investments Company called Index IQ, has introduced a new gender lens fund called IQ in Gender Equality ETF. It started trading mm -hmm. last month. Now we have 27 mutual funds, ETFs, and ETN, so exchange traded notes, that are publicly available to investors. And that includes 10 that are global equity funds, so they focus on 
investing in companies all over the globe. And 17 have regional offerings and it's the full range of offering. So there are eight of the funds that are domiciled in the U.S. One of those has a global focus. Seven of them are focused in U.S. equities. There's another seven that are based in Canada. Of those, three are globally focused. Two are focused on North American equities, and one is focused on Canadian equities. And another, even though it's in Canada, it gives Canadian investors an opportunity to invest in U.S. equities. We've got eight that are in Europe. Six of those are global and two of those are European company focused. And then we've got three in Japan and one in South Korea. So we've got quite a a global representation and you've got opportunities to invest either on a global basis or on a regional basis. Can you give us an example of a gender lens equity fund individual investors can invest in in the UK or US or globally? You mentioned a few. There's also sort of Spider, the SSGA Gender Diversity Index ETF, for example. Can you tell us how it works? And just thinking about listeners who are very new to this, are thinking about investing into a gender lens equity fund. So how does it work? What's the criteria for companies to be in the ETF or index? What kind of companies are included currently? It's interesting. Aside from those geographies and where the funds are are domiciled, you also have the other normal dimensions of investing, whether the fund is actively managed or it's an index fund. Certainly, we've got mutual funds, ETFs and ETNs. And there's a lot there in terms of what are the investment opportunities. And then you've also got this gender lens criteria. And that's going to be very specific to the funds. We spend a lot of time reviewing the prospectuses and other documents of the funds to really have a a solid understanding of what gender lens means to them. What's their gender lens criteria and sort of how do they compare as we go from fund to fund? But back to your question of the business case or the investing case for using a gender lens, right? We've got all these studies related to the potential outperformance of women in leadership. And that really is the investment thesis for this set of funds. And so one, the data is probably the easiest of the gender equality data to get, that we can look at the number of women on the board, the number of women in the C-suite. Usually we can do that without a whole lot of digging. That's information that is typically readily available. And then you can start to dig into, well, then how many women are on the executive committee? How many women are in senior management? Mm -hmm. But again, because we're really starting from a place of women in leadership, we're not at equity. And Mm -hmm. making the case for pushing for it, these funds really need to make an economic case for it. And so the starting research starts with women in leadership can lead to outperformance. And with that as the thesis, that's where you'll see most of the funds started. They're looking for companies that have a strong representation of women on the board or women in leadership. What it's grown to is what we call beyond women in leadership. So the women in leadership, as you pointed out, is absolutely important to having gender equality across the organization. But now these funds, many of them, are also looking beyond the women in leadership because you can only have women coming into that leadership if there's a pipeline, if they're hiring and nurturing the women, creating opportunities, promotion opportunities, training and other opportunities to create a pipeline. And then also just keeping women in the workforce, right? I'm pretty sure you've seen the articles about women leaving the workforce because they're just burned out from 
trying to do their regular job at home with kids paying off of them and working around the clock. We've got to keep women in the workforce. So things like flexible work opportunities, caregiving policies, sexual harassment. How does the company, what are their public statements about sexual harassment? What are the consequences? And are there things like forced arbitration that might keep it quiet? These are all things that as we look at the different funds, they may be incorporating this as part of their gender lens. Actually, it's one of the things that we're doing that, you know, because you've got such a broad definition from women in leadership all the way to those policies, we're taking a deeper look at the differences in the gender lens of the firm. And we're actually in the process of rolling out a scorecard to help investors gauge the differences between those criteria. You, you read so much about greenwashing. We call it pinkwashing. We don't want a situation where people are slapping a label on it and really not looking deeply at what they're investing in. That's where we're coming from with the introduction of the scorecard. But as we look at the funds, we've touched a few and I won't have a chance to sort of rattle them all off. But every quarter, we put out an updated view of the performance of the funds, all the way from their one-month performance to their since inception performance. We update that on a quarterly basis, and we provide a lot of key stats Fantastic. about the funds so that individual investors and institutional investors, if they're not familiar to the area, can kind of come and see what's available. You can see a little bit of description of what does that fund describe as a gender lens? What's the size of their assets under management? What's their performance history? So they're, they're all there. But a couple of interesting ones, certainly the ones you mentioned, the impact shares, YWCA, Women's Empowerment, and Spider SGA are great examples of ETFs that are available to U.S. investors. But again, we've got funds all over the globe. And so we actually have two that are on track to, I don't want to jinx it, but they're on track to hit $1 billion in assets under management. Mm. And so... Those two funds are PAX Elevate Global Women's Leadership Fund. Yes. That is an actively managed fund offered by Impact's Asset Management. They have a team devoted to doing gender lens and ESG research. They develop an internal index of companies, and this fund invests in over 400 companies around the world with the most favorable gender leadership characteristics. It also happens to be the longest running fund in our gender lens equity fund coverage universe. It launched in October of 1993. Wow. So yeah. it's been around for a bit. <laughs> it has been around for a bit, you know, and it's been growing and it's had some great growth, particularly this year. And we love seeing that. That's our largest of our gender lens equity funds. The second largest is UBS Global Gender Equality, and it's an ETF. It's also approaching. Again, Knockwood, $1 billion in assets under management. It's another global fund, but it's got a passive management strategy. They seek to replicate a gender lens index called the Selective Equity Global Gender Equality 100 Leaders Index. And Equity is a leading data provider, and they specialize in doing this corporate gender metrics assessment. And so leveraging on the work that they do, they look at I think 4,000 companies now all across the globe, UBS is able to use this index as a driver to their investment methodology. But there are a number of others. And what we love to see is growth. So aside from that new fund that I just mentioned, there are two more funds that have registered. They're not trading yet, but they will come online. Another global fund that's registered in Europe and 
another U.S.-based fund from Invesco will hopefully come online relatively soon. And that's an ETF. So I think there's kind of something for everyone in terms of where you want to invest your money, what you want to make as a minimum investment, and also whether or not you want an ETF or mutual fund. Those are all available options to investors who want to come into this space. And I guess it's worth saying that when you invest in a passive fund, it's usually cheaper. Actively managed funds are a little bit more expensive. There are so many different aspects to consider. But it's wonderful to see new funds, new vehicles coming into the market. Hopefully we'll see that accelerate in 2022. I'm curious, Angela, how are GenderLens funds performing versus some of the standard funds out there? Because at the moment, there seems to be a little bit of a mixed bag. I I think that's always going to be true when you're looking at funds. As I said, on a quarterly basis, we're looking at everything from one month return to since inception. When we look at last quarter and over the one-year period, and what we try and do is also, when you go to the funds, they're going to compare themselves to a defined benchmark. Sometimes that benchmark is their internally created index, and sometimes they're looking at market benchmarks. We try and, for every fund, pick a market benchmark because we think ultimately, as we said, investors want to at least achieve market returns or maybe outperform the market. So we tend to focus our analysis on that comparison. And when we looked last quarter at the one-year performance of the funds, 10 of them outperformed relative to that broad market index indicator that we chose for them. The others were either in line with the market or underperforming. But we also recognize that long-term performance, equity investing is a, is a long-term game for most people. This is yeah. not day trading that we're, that we're necessarily talking about. We want to view performance on those longer periods. And because of the relative newness of the segment, we only have about 16 of those funds that have three years or more history. And so when we look at those funds, it's tricky. You mentioned Impact Shares, YWCA. They have outperformed the Russell 1000 for that three-year period. Another three of the funds have outperformed for the period and the rest trailed. And so when we were sitting with that, we were scratching our heads. And again, you, you saw some of the numbers in terms of the potential opportunity for women in leadership to outperform. So When we sat back and started thinking about it, we also started thinking about, well, particularly as you get three to 10 years, so that PAX fund has more than 10 years of history now, when you go out the line, can you imagine how challenging it must have been to try and identify companies that had women in leadership to invest in? And if you wanted to go beyond just sort of counting bodies that you had access to the information for, and you wanted to expand the scope to learn more about gender equality, disclosures and policies, it would probably be a really limited list of investment opportunities. One of the things that's occurred to us is that as the women in leadership grow and the opportunity set, the investment universe of strong gender conscious companies grow, we think that the opportunity set for these investment managers grows and that we will see improved performance as they get more of these investment opportunities. Again, I, I want to underline the, the phrase that you use there, gender conscious companies. That's exactly what we need. It's, it's a gender literacy, isn't it? And it leads on to the next question. According to analysis by Capital Monitor of 2,500 gender lens funds, the average gender score 
has declined by 9% in 2021. And overall, they argue that gender lens funds appear to be neither strongly under or outperforming their peers. What are your thoughts on the average gender score having declined in 2021? So the Capital Monitor, I think they had a relatively large list of funds that they were looking at. And I I may be wrong on this, but I think it was looking at when you talk about the 9% decline in gender score, I think they were looking at Equileap scores as you average them across the companies that are in the fund. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting here is that I gave you a list of, let's say now 27 gender lens funds, and those are funds that have a gender lens mandate or investment criteria. There is the ability with Equilib looking at 4,000 companies to look at other funds that are trading in the market to see for each of the companies in that index, take the Mm -hmm. S&P 500 or the FTSE 100, for each of those companies in the fund, what would be the Equilib gender score and take a weighted average? And so they may be referring to that as sort of the decline. But for us, I think that element of there being a gender lens mandate and investment criteria is really important because those fund managers and investment firms for this product are specifically looking at women in leadership and these other gender equality aspects. One, we're looking at a smaller subset and they as consciously are making decisions around gender lens. If we take the S&P 500 and look at their gender score, it is what it is, not because S&P or the fund managers that offer that fund have gone through and screened them for being gender conscious companies. They are or they aren't. And certainly the S&P 500, the FTSE 100, those kinds of indexes are going to get the most scrutiny. They've had the most pressure from Mm -hmm. investors to improve their behaviors. That's one element. I I went over the performance numbers and where we think the opportunity is, but I think it's also important when you're doing this kind of analysis, be careful about how you define what you're looking at. And we think it's important to do this kind of analysis on specifically these funds with gender mandates. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. As you say, there are are 27 funds out there that have a specific gender focus, gender lens focus, and Capital Monitor have essentially just looked across these 2,500 funds the majority of which do not have a gender lens mandate. And I think what we're seeing there, they say that the average gender score has declined by 9% in 2021. Well, we know so many women have left the workforce, including senior women. And I I expect that that's obviously had a huge impact on those funds. So that's probably what it's telling us, which lines up with exactly what we know happened during the pandemic. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now, Maripat Smucker, who is your co-founder, your partner in your business, she provided a quote, again, to Capital Monitor that the companies that make up the gender lens funds in question are the best of a bad bunch, as the current levels of women in leadership is bleak. There are no sectors that are really scoring well on gender diversity. That's one of the things these funds are up against. It's a really important quote. It's exactly what we're talking about now. I don't know if you'd like to add anything else to that. We're talking about corporate America or corporate America, Europe, all over the globe. Women who have worked in corporations and particularly in sectors that have underrepresentation of women, it's no secret that we're certainly not starting from a place of equality. Mm. And what we're also finding that equality is not coming easily or quickly. 
And so and when we look at things like the women in leadership numbers, it, it's slow. It's slow progress. It's one of the things that we're tracking. So aside from tracking the performance of, of the investment vehicles, we're certainly trying to understand what's going on in terms of women in leadership and women in leadership supportive. We typically will follow this and I won't go into all of them. Our third quarter report has a lot of these that we've recapped from sort of all the information from the MSCI world and all countries world index and S&P and FTSE and different indexes and data that we could gather around. What are the women in leadership statistics? What percentage of women are represented on boards on average across the FTSE 100? And so one of the stats that we had pulled was that Board X had been tracking women CEOs on the S&P 500. So back in 2000, there were eight female CEOs on the S&P 500. Currently, they're 30. So it's one of those things where that's great. We got from eight to 30. We're only at 6%. We're nowhere near parity. And so when we look at this, we have to recognize that it's not going to happen overnight. We'd like it to happen more quickly, but that's what we're up against. So when we look at companies, you know, and when Equileap in particular, because we don't typically focus on, on the corporate gender metrics, we're concerned about them. But when a firm like Equileap looks at them, and when you look at Equileap's data, their most recent global report highlights the top 100 companies. And on average, the gender equality of those companies scores a 64%. The highest scoring company gets a 74%. So that, that's not 100. Yeah. So when you take that into account, we get into this really interesting space of, okay, we are where we're at. How can we advance? And Mary Pat commented about the sector. So when you break it down into sectors, no sector had above a 40% gender equality. And so when you take these into account, what you see is that these gender lens funds are going to focus on the relative best performers, the A's and B's. Maybe you consider some of the C's, right? But that means that as we're looking at it, we need to create more in A and B companies. And hopefully, one, that companies are seeing that there's shareholder and investor pressure for them to be more gender conscious and that their investment dollars that are flowing to companies that are more gender conscious, we hope that that creates a greater impetus for these companies to look at gender diversity, look at gender equality, and how can they advance it. But again, you have to recognize that we're trying to invest in the best of the bunch. That bunch isn't perfect. We'd like to do two mm. things, encourage more companies to improve and come up to be A's and B's, and we'd like to push the A's and B's even further because the yep. A's and B's aren't getting perfect scores. So that means that there's opportunities for them to improve their gender equity as an organization. Very well said. We need to up the standard in the A's and B's. We need to do even better. So we need to be above 75% equality. Yeah. We need more companies in the A's and B's. And the pressure needs to come from the top. When shareholders, investors put pressure on companies then the board of directors, the CEOs pay attention unless they are themselves especially motivated. It's very much part of their personal mission. And they're usually the most effective leaders, I find, because they truly understand ESG, sustainability, equality is just fundamental to the way that we live and, and to building the world that we want to see. But until we have very socially conscious CEOs and board of directors, I think it's 
it's up to the shareholders and the investors to apply that pressure. Absolutely. Now, what, in your view, can government do? Do we need to see more policy change? Is it regulation that we need to see more versus the company commitment, the pressure from investors and also board of directors and CEOs sort of saying, yep, we're going to do this now, we're going to commit? It's interesting because anytime you have the intervention of, of government, be it policy or regulation, you get the same arguments. You've got a group of people who say, you know, no, 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 keep government out of this for gender equality, like many other issues, but specifically for gender equality, it's kind of an all hands on deck sort of situation where yeah. the people who are already on board need to enlist other people. We need to be advocates and we need to help others, including corporate leadership, understand the opportunity cost and lost profits of not fully utilizing the women in the economy mm -hmm. uh, as consumers, as workers, as problem solvers, as leaders. And so that's sort of, I think, where we start. And that means that women as employees and leaders need to speak up. Men as allies need to recognize the inequality and be willing to change the status quo. We need groups, nonprofit organizations, so 30% club, 50-50 women on board and 30% coalition are all groups that are in different economies sort of pushing for more women representation on corporate boards. Yeah. They're helpful in terms of advocacy and, and sort of pointing out those companies that are falling short. Government mandates and regulations. So we're seeing them in the U.S. and California and various European countries. I think there's a place, particularly to have the discussion, acknowledge the shortfall and express the importance and the recognition of what's lost by not recognizing the full utilization of women. Mm -hmm. But we've also seen, and this is, I think, a really interesting dynamic. You've got the stock exchanges and exchange commissions looking at listing requirements and listing rules and disclosures for companies. And so it's kind of one of these things where all of these elements help advance this. And we yeah. need all of these elements. And, you know, back to the investors. Aside from the investors speaking with their money, we're talking about investors utilizing active ownership. And active ownership includes how they vote their proxies. And voting proxies includes shareholder proposals that will come up, encouraging pay equity and other issues, as well as female representation on the boards. And it's also engagement. So this is actually really interesting because if you ask me about the gender lens investing, it includes if you or I wanted to do our own research and find companies that we thought had strong gender consciousness or well on their way to gender equality, we could. But you and I are unlikely to get a meeting with the company leadership. When you look at these gender lens equity funds and asset managers that are out there, they get regular opportunities to meet with that leadership. And they can use some of that time to press for gender diversity and leadership in the workforce and in the policies. And so that creates a really interesting opportunity. Yeah. And this is like anything else. When we pool our funds together and invest in something like a gender lens equity fund, so you and I investing in individual companies means that we would, depending upon how much money we have, we're limited in the number of companies. So when you invest in the fund, you get that diversification benefit of investing. You also get the active ownership practices of that asset manager and the fact that they get those meetings. And we're seeing different levels and different issues that the active management firms or the firms that are running the gender lens equity funds, we're seeing different ways that they're engaging with companies to advance gender equality more broadly. 
Really powerful, Angela. And again, I want to underline the term that you used. Active ownership is really important. You can't be a silent investor, right? If we want to see change, if we want to accelerate change, we need to speak up. Investors need to speak up. Asset managers need to become very fluent in gender equality, becoming gender conscious, building gender conscious companies, what that means. And then voicing that opinion and applying that pressure because I can't see how else we're going to accelerate the pace of change because I think we've been patient enough. We're still very patient um, and we really need to see that massive step change. We do. We need to see this get to a place of parity in leadership roles and board seats and women in the workforce. And so all of these things are really important to advancing those causes. Where should gender lens investing get to in terms of the assets under management and how big this is? We're currently at globally 18 billion dollars. How big should this get? I don't have a great answer for this. Uh, I recently saw some group was forecasting maybe 30 billion within the next couple of years. I just don't know. And I don't know how it evolves. Like I said, we'd like to see more of the ESG funds with the gender lens. And then how do you count those? And so it becomes really complicated. People are interested in those numbers, but it becomes really difficult to make sure you haven't double counted or missed something. So aside from understanding what funds are available and making sure investors know what they are, we try and dig into them and try and understand the composition. So as I said, we want to understand the investment criteria, but we also look at where they're investing, sort of where they're holding in terms of what sectors are they emphasizing relative to that information from Equally and others. There've been studies from Credit Suisse as well around gender equality by sector as you go across the globe. And so for us, the number is great. We love to see the growth. Mostly we want that growth to drive these other numbers, the women in leadership, the supportive statistics, the keeping women in the workforce and advancing women. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have an internal estimate of where we think the sector will go from assets under management, but we're watching that and we're really closely watching these statistics. In our reports to have tables that just sort of outline, well, where are we? So that two years from now, we can see how much growth there is. And hopefully we can stop saying it's painfully slow, that, that something's caught fire. And yeah. it's, it's fascinating because another one of the great studies we read this year was around the realization that one woman on the board or one woman in leadership is you know, standing alone and, and not able to sort of push the organization to gender equality. It's not like, oh, we'll just put a, a woman chair in and, and everything else will fall into place. Yeah. And again, as you mentioned, with women leaving the workforce, particularly women leaving leadership, it's not a foregone conclusion that they're replaced with another woman. Correct. You take a step back and say, okay, well, that's one we lost. And it's very hard to make the case if there aren't strong women in the pipeline. None of us wants an unqualified woman to get promoted only to fail. We want to make sure that there are qualified women in the pipeline and that they get opportunity. So for us, just as important as that assets under management is what are the assets under management doing? How are they able to advance this cause in terms of getting more women in leadership, getting more gender equality policies, and really using that active ownership as well as their dollars to affect change. You can't expect to hire one woman, even if she's, say, on the board or in the executive team, and expect the whole organization suddenly to change. 
the organization needs to consciously acknowledge where it is in terms of its culture and, and understanding and, and policies and, and so on. If you hire one woman in an organization that is very stuck in its old ways, there isn't an open conversation about culture, about transformation, however that manifests, then it's incredibly difficult for this one individual and probably likely to leave. It's really quite obvious. This is where we talk about why change is necessary and starts from the top. It absolutely needs to be led by the board of directors, the CEO. They need to understand where they are, where they want to go, and then what they need to do to affect that change. And then they bring in these incredible women, highly experienced, very talented to continue with that change. It's not easy. I mean, it's like anything else. The first thing is recognizing that there's an issue, right? right? That there's a shortfall. It's listening. So again, if we get all of those advocates that sort of I rattled off involved and they're very clear in helping them understand, it's not a low-level employee that we're expecting to sort exactly. of explain all the shortcomings to the company and that the company responds. But companies do need to listen to the employees. They need to ask and they need to listen. But they also need to be transparent. So a lot of the challenges that we see are that, again, if you want to judge companies on their women in the workforce, they've got to disclose their workforce data. That's right. And we're at a point where it's not just about the women in your workforce. It's also about the racial and ethnic minority groups. It's about LGBT communities, which then has its own set of challenges. Because mm -hmm. once you get into that space, you're really reliant on employees that are willing to disclose, right? But first, the companies are willing to try and gather the information, share what they have, I can't speak to how important that is on an issue like understanding the gender pay gap. There are several active owners in the gender lens investing space that are pursuing gender pay equality and, and racial pay equality. But in order to tackle it, you know, you might be able to guess who has inequality, but you need the numbers. And so once you have the numbers, then you can have a, a discussion with them about where they are and where you think they need to be. And they can communicate we recognize that this is an issue and this is our plan for resolving that particular gap. So you've yeah. got to have the company transparent and willing to evolve. That's right. Really important points. Don't be afraid to be honest about where you are right now. If you're honest about where you are, you're committed to change. You don't have all the answers, but you're willing to learn and you can share with the community. I think that's a phenomenal place to begin. So there's no need to hide and fear about being transparent because maybe you're not where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just that willingness to find out, right, where you yeah. are and yeah. accept where you are and express a plan, a commitment, yes, and a plan. That's right. And then continue to measure and show your results. And sometimes there'll be setbacks and there are opportunities to discuss that. But if it's a regular part of the discussion with folks like active owners, you can continue to have a dialogue and continue to hold them accountable. All really, really important points. Angela, you've shared so much today. I want to say thank you. This is incredibly powerful. I really hope that lots of investors, institutional investors can listen to this, but also really useful for individual investors who want to back companies that have a gender lens focus and support women. This is really, really important work. I have one last question for you. How do women who want to invest in gender lens equity funds get started? Let's say they've never invested in an ETF before or an index fund. And as they step into this world, they're thinking, well, 
I believe in ESG. I believe in building a sustainable world. I want to back women. I want to back companies that support women. How do they get started? What's the process? First, welcome to investing. <laughs> We're happy to have you. And I would say if they're brand new, and this is what tends to overwhelm people as they move into the investing space, reaching out to a financial advisor or a fund management company. I didn't mention it earlier, but Fidelity Investments is a major juggernaut in the mutual fund and ETF space. In the US, they've got international offices in Canada and, and Fidelity International operating outside of those countries. So Fidelity has three mutual funds and ETFs with a gender lens. Mm -hmm. So they've got a mutual fund and an ETF in the US, and they've got a separate mutual fund in Canada. The Canadian fund that invests in US companies that I mentioned earlier is one of Fidelity's. When you go to a company like Fidelity, they give you sort of a laundry list of funds that you can invest in. Among that offering for them now are these gender lens funds. So very easily, you can fill out their paperwork, start a relationship with them. And for a manageable initial investment, you can start investing in the fund. And as you, maybe every pay period, you can continue to add money to that fund to grow it. And then you can see how that grows over time. If that is overwhelming, a great thing that we're seeing is platforms like Robinhood and public.com and Wombat, these sort of mobile platforms that allow investors with even less of an initial investment than you'd need if you go directly to a fund manager or we're working with a financial advisor. In some cases, they allow you to buy fractional shares, right? So you don't even have to have the full amount of a share of the ETF. Several of those types of platforms, if you look at the list of their offerings, will offer one of the ETFs that I might have mentioned or one of the ETFs that you'll see on our website. And it's very easy. You basically go on and register and tell them how much you want to invest and where you want to invest it, and you're started. And so that creates the real benefit there is it creates a really low barrier to entry. But again, you could also look to engage with an investment advisor that can give you advice across your entire portfolio and offer these as opportunities. Or as I said, go directly to a fund manager. Their applications are not that onerous. I know it seems overwhelming, but it's pretty straightforward. And you can usually get somebody on a chat or on the phone that can help walk you through it. But as I said, getting women investing is one of my passion issues. So I do encourage you to find a way, get information and get in there. Angela, thank you. We share the same mission. We have a passion for women growing their wealth and to get into investing. It's a very, very important area. And thank you for all the work that you do to support women. I've really enjoyed having this conversation with you. And again, a lot of our role is about advocacy. So helping people understand what's available in the space is a large part of what we do. If you're looking for how to get started or a longer list of those funds that I mentioned, if you go to our website, parallelfinance.com, or search Parallel Finance and Gender Lens, you'll find us. Uh, and we have under our equity section, you'll see a list of these funds, their performance, their key stats and other information that could be a helpful start for you as an investor. Thank you, Angela. Thank you for joining me today. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me online at Join the Purse or you can subscribe to our newsletter, jointhepurse.substack.com. Until next time, goodbye.